Edition, starring West Coast Avengers. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to the next episode of Direct Edition. I'm your host, Dave, the guy who loves to sell comics, read comics, talk about comics, but wants to do a podcast about anything and everything. That's me. Well, I'm recording this 13 days into the year 2024, and uh, it was going great. Until the entire United States got hit by a winter disaster weather pattern. I don't fucking know what it's called. El Nino's sister, La Nina. I, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, I've, I'm, I'm, I've had a weekend. I've had a week. I've just had it. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I was supposed to uh, go to Portland this weekend to Fan Expo. And my buddy, Dave Correa, second episode, second mention of Dave Correa, he was flying in and... This winter storm was hitting and Portland was supposed to get snow. And if you know anything about the Pacific Northwest cities, Seattle, Portland, uh, Tacoma, you know, anything on the coast or near the coast, they are not suited for snow. Seattle more than Portland because Seattle's the city of seven hills. Portland has probably like one snow plow. So it's kind of one of those things where when it snows, no matter what, kind of shuts down. So Dave was set to fly in Thursday and then Thursday morning, my smoke alarm went off and it turns out that as <laughs> it's a comedy, as this winter storm and the frigid temperatures were coming in, my furnace decided to kick the bucket and there was smoke in my house. And so long story short, Dave is currently not at my house. I'm at my house uh, with two space heaters freezing my balls off. And the weekend was just kind of laughably lost you know just a bunch of other things went wrong like my door lock froze in my car and I had to call roadside assistance through my insurance to pop the door open and you know it's just like any Murphy's Law type shit today I was able to kind of have a nice little day of going to comic shops in Seattle and ate a bunch of dumplings uh, in the international district it just kind of got me thinking I have a very big week coming up for work and by the time you hear this, both of these things will have happened, hopefully. Uh, but I am scheduled to interview Matt Nelson, president of CGC, along with Manu on Monday. And then Thursday, I am scheduled to interview Todd McFarlane. And so interviewing Todd McFarlane, obviously, is the kind of pinnacle of my YouTube channel and my career uh, up to this point and beyond. And, you know, obviously I hope it's going to go well and I hope he's going to come back. And the Matt Nelson CGC interview is also a huge deal because me and Manu uh, have been, you know, breaking, following and keeping the community abreast about the CGC scandal. So as it sits right now, uh, it's probably about 44 degrees in my room. I am wearing pajamas and thermals and t-shirt long sleeve shirt hoodie and my bathrobe just because I had to shut the space heater off to record this podcast but the reason why I'm recording the podcast today in these uncomfortable situations is because I just kind of had this thought as I was driving home yesterday after roadside assistance got my car open and I was thinking about how Dave talking about myself in the third person I was thinking about how myself uh 10 years ago uh, and beyond, let's say from 2004 to 2014, when I dealt with any type of stressful situation, any type of adversity in my life, anything that needed a coping me mechanism, I dove down into the bottom of a bottle. 2024 will mark 
10 years of sobriety for me. Uh, March will be my sober birthday, and that'll be a decade. I kind of try to justify it in my head that, oh, you know, like I, I, I try and downplay it, I should say. Oh, Dave, you know, you only drank for 10 years. Now, I was a, a late starter to drinking. I didn't start drinking until 2004. I was uh, 20, like almost 25 years old. But I was, I was a pothead as a kid, you know, 15, 16, all the way up till, you know, when I really kind of stopped smoking pot uh, habitually. But I, I enjoyed that. I, I watched my friends get drunk at parties and I smoked weed. And, you know, at the end of the night, I felt great. Most of my friends did not. I also threw a lot of parties. So it was a lot easier for me to be high and not be drunk. Just, you know, in case anything went wrong, I'm a, I'm a host. So I don't like uh, to not be hosting my own parties. Yeah, I, I basically started drinking in 2004 and quickly found out that I was one of these people that like was just could drink and drink and drink and drink. Fast forward to 2014 when I, I entered myself into a outpatient rehab because I was working in Manhattan and uh, I, I had a pretty good job so I could afford it and it was after work and you know, it, it, it was great. It, it saved my life, you know, set me on a path to where I am now in the long term. But yeah, whenever I got stressed out and I had a very stressful job, I, I traveled, I would say, let's just say a week and a half to two weeks out of the month. And I was just around alcohol a lot. Yeah, I had a very unhealthy lifestyle. Um, but I yeah, I would just drink. I would drink a lot out of stress. And I would I would drink to fit in, drink to meet people, and then just drink for fun. Uh, and, and it was bad. I was an al- I am a recovering alcoholic, and I, I guess I always will be. But 10 years sober, like I said, coming up in a couple of months, and I'm about as far away from alcohol mentally and physically as I was when I was, you know, 16 and everybody was drinking around me. There have been a couple of times where, you know, I've thought about it, and I haven't. But what I really uh, what I really started thinking about on this drive home yesterday was how much I turned back to comics when I was getting sober and when I got sober. I just started looking through my Instagram and uh, I hit 2014 when I was still living in New York and I'm looking at all the pictures on my personal Instagram that I used to post of like the haul that I, w- I would get because uh, – when I was living in Queens and working in Manhattan, my local comic store was Midtown Comics and I had a pull list. And, you know, that pull list was huge at, at that time. And discount was probably like 20%. But, you know, I'd go to Midtown Comics, I'd walk from work. It took me six minutes, maybe 10 minutes. And, uh, you know, I'd pick up stacks of books that were helpful for me and I would look around. And uh, it's just really funny because I was I was thinking about those books specifically, you know, Started my pull list there, I think, around 2011, just around the time that the New 52 started. So you got the Greg Capullo, Scott Snyder, Batman, and I was super into that. But I was reading a lot of image stuff back then. I was reading, uh, let's see, I was reading Saga and Sex Criminals. I think Sex Criminals started a little bit later. Yeah, I would pick up anything that, you know, Image was putting out because that was my favorite. But yeah, it was just, it was a really nice comfort to dive back into comics when I got sober and like really embrace it. And I rode that wave all until probably about 20, maybe about 2015, 2016. After I moved to Seattle, I started a pull list at a local store in Capitol Hill, but they just like the books were always damaged and uh, I just wasn't happy with it. 
And so I, I quit collecting single issues. And soon after that, I sold a bunch of stuff off, but I would buy a lot of vintage stuff. I would just buy anything. The thing was, is when I was traveling, and this goes back to 2008, when I started my job in the, the auction nonprofit industry, I'd get on a flight and you know, I'd always try and I'd always try and have a little extra time to go record shopping and go to half price books wherever I was. Like if I was going to Phoenix, I would fly in in the morning uh, and then spend the rest of the day going to. I think there's five or six half price books in Phoenix area, and I would I would look for comics and records. You know, I was always buying stuff, but I think the most I was buying new comics in those years was 2011 through 2014. And when I when I was getting ready to move to Seattle. You know, I went to Midtown and I was like, hey, I got to cancel my my list and everything. And they got all they're like, oh, we could ship it to you. And I'm like, nah, I, I there's a local comic store and, you know, within a five block radius of my apartment. So it doesn't make sense for me. It was a great place to to buy new books, Midtown. But yeah, I, do, I dove back into reading a lot of comics and I am trying to picture my apartment, my two apartments. Uh, I, I lived in two different places in Astoria and I'm trying to picture where I had my comics. They must have been in in boxes in the closets, but I definitely always bought trades and hardcovers and stuff. So I had bookshelves of records and 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 books and stuff. One of the other things that I really enjoyed doing that became like a habit for me, because uh, it's good to form sober habits as you're trying to get sober. That way, they become you know hobbies, habits, whatever it is. When you're when you're kind of a couple months away from sobriety, you kind of fall into this nice pattern of doing good things for yourself. At least that's for me. That's how I really rewarded myself. Uh, my rehab would be uh, Monday through Thursday, from like six to nine. So you know, I spent uh, twelve hours in in rehab every week. Which you know, I know for some people it's probably not intensive enough, but I needed to maintain a piece of my life while I was getting sober, and that was work. Uh, that was the piece of my life. But every Friday, I would go see a new movie, and I would, I would literally, I would leave work. Uh, I worked in uh, on Thirty Second and Madison in Manhattan, and I would leave work, and I'd, you know, pick a theater, and I, I'd pick a movie, and I'd just go walk there. And sometimes I'd invite friends, but for me, it was like this ultimate power move to walk out of work at four o'clock or whatever, walk down to the movies, and go see a brand new movie by myself. I can still remember three of the movies that I saw. And I'm sure if I looked at the release schedule of movies in 2014, I could probably pick out the others. But the first movie I saw on Sober Friday was Noah, which was Darren Aronofsky's retelling or, you know, his version of Noah's Ark. Now, a lot of people didn't like that movie. I think I like that movie for multiple reasons, but it definitely holds a significance to me because that was a very much place and time and feeling. But I really did like that movie. The one that really stood out was Guardians of the Galaxy. It had come out, I guess, August of 2014. And I walked down to, I think I saw it in Times Square and uh, absolutely loved the movie. I mean, it, it's still one of the greatest Marvel movies. But to me, I remember walking out of that movie thinking that was Star Wars for the new generation of kids. Like that, like there are kids that are 10 or were 10 in 2014 that I bet you in 2024 now, like when they think of like a movie that they grew up loving, it's that movie. Uh, and obviously it's a fan favorite. And if you don't like that movie, you've got serious things wrong with you. Uh, <laughs> but 
Yeah, I, I saw that, and I think I proceeded to see it like two more times in the next couple weeks. And then the other movie I can remember seeing in Sober Friday was Under the Skin. The uh, Was it Jonathan Glazer? It's the Scarlett Johansson movie where she plays a kind of an alien. Not a movie for everybody, but for me, I loved it. And also shot primarily in Scotland. Yeah, Sober Fridays became a thing. And then eventually I eased into like kind of going out with friends doing sober things. And, you know, I have such a great support system in in my friends i I thank them up and down left and right and to this day uh, i hope they know that i appreciate them for all of the support they did you know new york is a very very tough city to be sober and have a social life and all, all my friends were always down to do stuff and after a while i didn't care if they drank around me because it wasn't about my struggles with alcohol were not about the people around me. It was about the person inside. So, and, and that person still deals with a lot of things, but I handle it differently. And comics is definitely one of those ways that just really helped me cope with anything that was going on in my life, whether it was, you know, relationship, uh, work, family, whatever kind of shit, or just my own personal mental stuff. You open up a comic book and you can replace comic book with movie or novel or an album, but you open up and you're inside somebody else's imagination, somebody else's universe. And uh, that's a beautiful place to be because if it's a, something you're reading or watching that's about struggles that somebody else is having, kind of makes you feel like you're not alone. Or it just takes you to a different place like space. And that became one of my big, biggest coping mechanisms. It's a funny thing. I was As I was scrolling through my, uh, my Instagram going back now 10 years, I had found that I'd forgotten that I had written a blog around the time that I got sober for a couple years. I think I wrote it for at least three years. And it wasn't an everyday thing. It wasn't even a weekly thing. It was just when I felt inspired, I'd write. I wrote a, a blog post called My Path to Sobriety Was Paved with Music, 14 Songs That Helped Me. And I'm not going to go over it now. If it's too much personal stuff on that blog that I want to don't want to put it uh, out to everybody. Nothing I'm ashamed of, just you know, there's some political stuff on there, but if you're listening to me and you know me, you know that I don't fuck with people that are horrible. Uh, and I wrote a blog post. I think the last blog post I wrote, uh, second to last blog post I wrote was about Trump and the senseless hate that uh, his campaign brought up around this country that's still here. And then the last blog post I wrote, I think, was a, just a little tribute to Chris Cornell. That fucked me up. His suicide really fucked me up. And I didn't know him personally, but. Yeah, so that that blog was it was pretty interesting to remember that and just kind of scrolled through some of that stuff. There's some fun stuff in there though, some some really cool uh, anecdotes and stories, and you'll probably hear a lot of them on this podcast. Yeah, my comic collecting was definitely a thing, and the comic reading, and I I definitely uh, in the years probably from 2010 to basically like 2019, if I bought a comic, it was not for any other reason than I either wanted to read it. Or it was something that I like wanted to look through for the art. I did not care about, oh, this is going to be worth something, so I got to buy it. The box of McFarlane books that I've had since I was, you know, whatever, a teen, that is the only thing I ever kept because of the value. Plus, I love McFarlane. But everything else I bought was for reading purposes or, you know, try out a new book. There were a lot of books that I bought in those years of 2011 through 2015 that was like, oh, Image has got this new book out. Jonathan Hickman is writing it or Chip Zdarsky's in it or, you know, Fraction or 
or you know Brian K. Vaughn. I because I I'm a writer person. I love uh, reading. I love following around writers and reading their stuff, no matter what kind of books they're putting out. And uh, so yeah, I was really really seldomly buying something because I thought it was a going to be worth a bunch of money. It's funny because I collected uh, Brian K. Vaughn and Fiona Staples saga because I loved reading it and I was a BKV fan. And little did I know like that, that number one issue that I bought new when it came out was going to be worth so much. And I ended up selling the first, I had like issues one through 42 or something. I got like 500 bucks for it. I sold it on eBay. I'd have a hell of a collection if I had kept everything that I ever had, but I still was never really collecting for value, as I said. But yeah, those those days of, of getting sober uh, and trying to figure out things, I, I can tell you this, if you ever find that you're struggling with any type of substance, and I don't really know what it's like to have a you know, an addiction to certain substances, but the more that you steer away from that person, and if you can, you know, find the place that or get the help that you need. You you start to learn about yourself. You start to learn so much. You start you start to learn about the things that you truly love, things that you thought you loved but really only existed when you were drunk or high. And then you get to you really do have to start being more honest with yourself, but with that comes a clarity. And a clarity that may take a month, may take 6 months, may take years. But you start to realize that, you know, as hard as things can be on a daily basis if you're working on yourself actively, things do become easier and and they become less foggy. Your decision-making gets better and uh, facing emotions and feelings becomes easier, although you do have to face them. That is something that you cannot walk away from. Eventually, they catch up with you. I have a special place in my heart for the fact that A, I used to work in Manhattan. B, I used to frequent a comic store in Manhattan and I never imagined myself as a New York City person on a day-to-day basis. But, you know, I worked in Manhattan for six years and I lived in Queens for two and a half, three. So, yeah, I I really got to have that experience. But as soon as I finished my program, my rehab program, I started to realize every day, I don't want to be in New York anymore. I love it here, but it's not the place for me. I love the fact it's, it's, it's a double-edged sword because... In one regard, it's amazing that everything is at your fingertips and it's never closed and it's always close. You could go eat French fries at three in the morning and have dumplings made by a Ukrainian person. You can be in a bar till three in the morning and then when they close the doors, if you know the bartender or the manager, you stay on the inside. You don't get kicked out. Every band that exists plays shows in new york at least once a year and if they have an album coming out they most likely kick off that album by playing a small show in new york city i I do not have enough fingers and toes to count the amount of bands that i've seen play you know the day that the album comes out at a small venue case in point saw green day the day american idiot came out they played the album from front to back went off stage came back and played like a five song all hit set that was i think like september 21st i saw queens of the stone age play a room that was i don't know about 200 people and it was uh 2005 so or maybe even later 2007 it was after they got big so it's that type of city you know you never you never have a loss of things to do if you want to go see a broadway play you could see a different one every night and then you can go see off broadway you want to go see uh you want to go see todd mcfarland's artwork up at the uh, museum of cartoon and comic art 
sure, that's where it is in New York City. You want to go knock on Steve Ditko's door and have him not answer it? Well, that's New York City too. You know, it's 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 such a beautiful place and it's it's everything, but it, it was not for me after, you know, I was at this point, 2014, when I moved to Seattle, I, I was uh, 35 years old. And so that math checks out. Yeah, that math checks out. It was like 34, 35. No, I moved October 2014, so I was still 34. Turned 35 a month after I moved to Seattle. And I had been to Seattle before uh, I dated somebody in Seattle. And <laughs> her breaking up with me was the catalyst for me going to Scotland for the first time. So thank you, Emily. And uh, yeah, I just I just realized that it wasn't where I wanted to live anymore. It wasn't where I should live anymore. You know, miss my friends. But the ones, the real ones, you know who you are. We're still friends. Best decision I ever made. And in the you know long run, it brought me here, even though I had to take a break from comics. And that's a story for another time because there is a story behind it. And I found a lot of good sober things to do. I remember my first work trip while I was in rehab was one that I had to, I didn't have to go, but you know, it, it's part of my work. So I did. I wanted to make sure that I could. I had to go to Las Vegas. And uh, in that was trying to figure out what to do to kill time like uh, during my free time in Vegas when I wasn't working because I'm not a gambler, but I was a drinker. So I had friends in Vegas that I would just go drinking with. And, you know, if you're you're an alcoholic, Vegas is literally the worst place to exist. The worst. But what did I do? I ended up going hiking one day and then I shot guns the next day at a shooting range. So I found other things to do, uh, although I still don't like Vegas. So there were a lot of tests, but you know, personally, to me, it was like all the things that I used to love and all the things that I found that I loved after I got sober, they all just came rushing back to me. Going to concerts uh, without drinking, flying without being hung over. There were nights where I would be going on a work trip, right? Let's say it was a Tuesday. So Monday night, I went out and got fucking tanked just because I could. And then I get on a flight, hung over in death, feeling like absolute death. Once I got far enough away from it, it just became easier and easier and easier to do the things that I needed to do, do the things I wanted to do, and like never feel like shit the next day physically. Mentally, you're never really going to get rid of those demons. You can just find coping me mechanisms for it. I still get angry and stressed and, you know, sometimes that anger boils up and fucking explodes and I don't know how to deal with it, but you just do. Uh, and it doesn't happen as much anymore. I know this isn't comic related, but this whole podcast thing doesn't have to be about comics. I'm just a person that does what I do. But I will say this. I 100% stand behind anybody that looks to art, whether it's comics, whether it's novels, music, movies, whatever. You, you can find your comforts in that. You can wipe away what's going on in your life with that even if just for an hour, half hour, two hours, whatever it is. But if you are struggling, lean into that stuff. When you find something in somebody else's art that you can identify with or relate to that helps you feel better about whatever you're going through, like that's the beautiful thing about art. And even just a simple act of collecting stuff is a hobby that you can lean into. Just don't let it turn into the addictive thing that, you're trying to get away from. And my addictive personality is, it comes out every once in a while 
in negative ways. And those are the only times yeah, I ever really notice it. You know, if I'm addicted to something good and it's not affecting me in a negative way, then, you know, okay. But when your addictions become the thing that weighs you down, that's, you know, that's the real hard part. But collecting can be a very healthy way if you could find the balance to just really, really find positive things to do with your time. You know, everybody's got their own separate struggles. No no two people's lives or struggles or problems are the same, but you can find those people that you relate to and you can always, always talk to people like that. I've had a lot of friends that have reached out to me and just asked me about my alcoholism, sobriety, et cetera, you know, whatever, any facet of that. And, uh, I'm always happy to talk about my experience. I can't tell anybody what to do, but I can share my experience. And it made me who I am today. If I didn't get clean and learn to deal with this, uh, yeah, definitely would not be doing this podcast right now. You would not be hearing my voice. So yeah, I just, it was something that was on my mind and I really just wanted to kind of get it out here. And, you know, it's going to relate to some version of the things that I like. That'll be this episode, hopefully. By the time you're hearing this, you will have heard me interview Todd McFarlane, the Todd father, the Mac daddy, and also Matt Nelson from CGC along with Manu. If I kind of think about the path that the uh, interviews are going to take my channel, by the time I record the next episode, I'm hoping that it's good news. I appreciate everybody for listening to this episode of Direct Edition and before you go, please just do a simple thing for me. Subscribe if you're not already subscribed. Please rate the podcast. I know uh, Spotify, you can hit stars, and then hopefully this will already be on Apple and all those other things. Apple, you can actually leave a review. You can check out the uh, YouTube show, West Coast Avengers, also on Instagram. So it's I'm just everywhere. Kind of like a virus I'm spreading throughout your ear holes. And I want to say a big thank you, huge, huge thank you to Joe, Joe Scar, Scar System. Uh, he gave me the music for this podcast, even though he said it's not mine, it's his, which is fine. Uh, he also designed the logo. And big thank you to Andrew. But Andrew PCC on Instagram writes the synopsis and uh, is just all around good dude. So appreciate you both. And I appreciate everybody for listening. This has been another episode of direct audition i don't know why i think i'm fucking james hadfield anyway until the next time we talk friends this is dave last survivor of the cold signing off